0: Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined here by my co-hosts and stars of this show, A Day at the Yard, Common Sense Pitching with Wiley and Will. We have Mark Wiley and Will George back at it again. We had a guest today that had some issues with travel, and so we're going to push him off till next week. Uh, But uh, today's show, we're going to do a little riff here, and I wish you guys could hear the conversation that happens before and after the shows with these two because it is just as entertaining and just as insightful as the show itself. And Before we get going, I know you guys are jumping with the hands already. just want a message to our audience, 19,000 plus subscribers. We challenge you guys to get to 20,000 by the end of the week. Download, listen, like, subscribe, rate, and review. If you do that, we can battle the analytics of the podcast world just like we do in baseball. We keep providing you with great content every week like we do on this show, A Day at the Yard, Common Sense Pitching. Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher is our streaming devices. Hit me up on Facebook. I do one live question a day, or I do, and I get everybody else back privately. Instagram and Twitter, I'm also active on for the group. 72 countries, grassroots, the MLB front offices, just trying to build a better baseball IQ out there. And as our audience members, a couple of our members asked me to read this to our new listeners just to prep them. They want to join this group. they got to be prepared for this, prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truths about baseball and sometimes life as this program, like all of our shows, just has no time for the comforting lies out there. So with that, we'll hit you right between the eyes. Mark and Will, welcome back to your show.
1: Great to be back, guys. Uh, Mark, I I was just going to go first on Ricky Ricky Vaughn and Wild thing, uh, bringing back great memories before the show. Mark and I were talking about uh, the movie Major League. Mark was a pitching coach in Cleveland when the movie came out. I was a minor league pitching coach and shared some memories of uh, my first time seeing the movie and uh, the passions that baseball bring us growing up and the relationships we have with our dad. And today's guest uh, that, that was unable to make it, Ricky Horton, was actually in the movie. He was pitching on the TV as Kevin Costner was watching the game with his daughter. And, uh, but we watched the movie on our bus going from Harrisburg to New Britain and got to the final scene and uh, they did the, you know, baseball, Ray, (laughs) and I started to cry. And then when Kevin Costner came and Spoke to his dad and said, Dad, do you want to have a catch? And I had lost my dad by that point. I was bawling like a baby and kind of embarrassed. But then I looked around the bus. There were 24 other people on the bus crying. So you felt okay that we yeah, all had the same passion. And I think Mark had the same experience. So,
2: yeah, The Field of Dreams, uh, that was an unbelievable movie. But it, it um, uh, I remember I went and saw it. It was like a matinee showing, I think, or a day off with the club I was with in the big leagues when it came out. I think I was in the big leagues. Anyway, I was with a bunch of players who were in there. And I was sitting there and tears were kind of coming down my eyes at the end of the movie, like Will said. And I'm going, oh, man, what are these guys going to think? And I looked around and they were all the same as in the movie theater were doing the same thing. So it was uh, pretty impactful. I think Kevin Costner... Had a really good handle on baseball. He was a big baseball fan. That's why he made so many baseball movies. Yeah. But Yeah. Um, and that th- there, there's some great. I love the speech that uh, oh. James Earl Jones made. Right. Uh, that was a classic. Oh, that's anyway, nice. Will, we we wanted to talk about some developmental things that you and some of the other scouts have seen uh, since you've been out in the minor leagues with some of these teams. Things that you never thought you'd see um, yeah. what you're seeing now. You want to fill us in on some of the yeah, things? That... Yeah,
1: you, know, you know, there's nights that I scratch my head and there's some talented young players out there and they're, they're working really hard. And um, from a developmental standpoint, I won't name the player, the team, but uh, recently I had a 21-year-old uh, Latin American pitcher that I saw last year as a 20 year old and low a ball, that was 92 to 95. And, you know, you're able to project that the velocity was going to grow, uh, which velocity grows when you use your fastball. And, um, and I see the same pitcher this year. I'm kind of excited to see his start and he starts in the first inning. He had a tough first inning, but he, he, I like the makeup. The kid does compete. He got in into the sixth inning um, of that game, but 21 of the first 23 pitches in the first inning were breaking balls, either curveballs or sliders. And I was in shock. So the game continued to go on, and I counted the, the course of the game He ended up throwing 92 pitches in five and two-thirds innings or four and two-thirds innings. Um, And he threw 12 fastballs during that game. He walked his last hitter. He had a lead, so he would have been able to get a win had he gotten the number nine hitter that was hitting 190, he walked him on four consecutive breaking balls to a left-handed hitter that was hitting 190. Now, this kid, mind you, was 91 to 94, so his velocity was down some because he's not using his fastball, um, and he also has a pretty good changeup that he didn't choose to use to this left-handed hitter, which usually works pretty well. But I was I was floored at the end of watching this happen, To a minor league player that's 21 years old, and uh, Mark, I think you know you and I talked a lot about it, and I'd love for you to share, you know, a lot of your wisdom on this from your years uh, in the game.
2: Well, I tell you what, it's funny because when I was a pitching coach in the minor leagues and then in the major leagues in the early years, uh, we didn't have all the technology they have now that allowed you to track and follow what pitchers were doing, not only in the big leagues, but in the minor leagues like they do now. Now you can see percentages of pitches used, the uh, uh, real strikes uh, versus uh, strikes that occur when guys swing out of the strike zone. Um, you can you can see a better picture than we all tried to create it. I mean, I, I learned from yeah. other pitching coaches. I'm sure some use some of the stuff I used in order to track this stuff, I even developed a computer system to track real strikes versus, versus uh, total strikes. And uh, right. in order to paint a picture for the pitchers to, to give them a better idea what their command and control was, now it's all, they have it all. They have it all. You just push a button on your computer. You can find all that stuff out. Right. So what blows my mind is when you're trying to develop a secondary pitch like a breaking pitch uh, in the minor leagues. Uh, whereas when I was director of pitching, uh, I used to, I had this technology. So I'd look every morning, uh, at all our A ball clubs, uh, our double A AA, our triple A club. And I would look and look at the percentages of pitches they were throwing. I knew what they were working on. I knew when they were going too heavy or not heavy enough on a certain type of pitch. Uh, I knew when they were having success and they, when they weren't, um, with certain pitches. Um and I could see it firsthand, so I could communicate to the coordinators and to the pitching coaches that hey we're not we're we're overusing that pitch or we've got to find better opportunities to give him confidence in that pitch. Um or we're not using it enough. You know, you you're gonna have to go to the catchers, you're gonna have to work through the catchers, get them to call it, give them certain scenarios to call it in. That's how you develop pitches without just Sticking it in there and cooking it, you know, and that's what's happening a lot. of From what I'm hearing from Will and a lot of my friends that are scouting, they see it in the minor leagues. Where the way I, my vision is this, because I was in the hierarchy all the way down. In today's world, this is what I see. I see that maybe the major league club, the kid's a prospect, so the major league staff has a, has a they watch him in spring training. They make determinations along with. The the, uh, the the player development director that this guy needs a secondary pitch needs to improve. What secondary pitch would be best? Okay. We make that determination. What, what pitch needs to be developed first as a secondary pitch. Um, then we start to set up a plan with our coordinators and our pitching coaches on how we're going to develop him in the minor leagues uh, to develop that side of his game What I'm seeing after hearing from our scouts when guys are throwing 60% breaking balls or some ridiculous amount, my thought is that possibly the major league staff goes, hey, develop, he needs a secondary pitch. We think this is it. Okay, the player development director, he signs off on it. He goes to the coordinator. He says, we want to see an improvement in this pitch. From there, it gets lost in translation. Either nobody's checking it Nobody knows to check it, but then the coordinator maybe says, okay, let's just start throwing 70% of them in a game. I
0: right. want to
2: see him develop this pitch by over and over and over. The pitching coach gets the information and the manager of the club, they, hey, they're lower on the chain on the food chain. So they don't want to lose their jobs. So if he wants a 60 or 70, I'm going to do it. And that's what they do. So a lot of times these minor league staff members, they're not in favor of it. But they're not the ones making the decision. The problem is the translation. It got lost from the major league club that made an obvious comment that they needed a secondary pitch. They helped choose it. The player development director helped choose it. The coordinators helped choose it. But nobody's following it all the way through the food chain to see it's getting overused. And that's not the way to develop it. No. That's just my opinion. I don't know how these these organizations work, but when I see stuff like that happening, uh, there's no argument over my 52 years in professional baseball that you can have to explain that to me.
1: No, you can I, try,
2: but I'm sorry. I may be a dinosaur, but I know what's right.
1: No, I. You know, I told, I texted Mark during the game. I said, I just want to walk over the dugout and go, why. <laughs> You know, uh, I, and, and as you just did your explanation, Mark, we lived in a world where we were developing the secondary pitch based upon field driven, not analytic number driven. You know, okay, so, you know, we were teaching a guy to have a better feel for a slider, to have a better feel when to use a slider. What kind of pitch is patchable?
0: So, Can I have your question on that yeah, feel. Yeah. Because I think your guys' insight into pitching is off the charts, and I, I think it's uh, for me from a hitter standpoint. I think it'll it'll help the audience too. Too when you you guys always talk about balance, rhythm, timing. You talk about feel, and I understand that what that means from a hitter standpoint. But when you're working as a pitcher, what are some things that would happen out there while you're throwing a bullpen or even in a game where you would you know maybe you you, you would have just you'd be just a little off in your breaking pitch what would happen yeah. in your mind what's that self-talk what would be the, the adjustment or a sample of an adjustment that well, you,
1: I, you know earlier mark and i just dis- discussed the first round left-handed pitcher we had with cleveland that got parts of four or five years in the big leagues with a few different clubs but he had a really good sinker Um but he was a little bit of a head jerker, an early open guy. So he lost balance, rhythm, and timing when he did that. So his slider, when he head jerked and flew open, came out early. The hitter saw it early. It didn't have the depth and the late break that it had when he stayed closed. So, you know, he and I, you know, we worked through a lot of things early. We would just play catch, stay closed touch your chin to your shoulder and see every, every one of these little sliders you're going to throw so that you're behind the ball. And, uh, you know, one of my keys for him was just to slow your body speed, your hands up and see your breaking ball, you know, see it come out of your hand. That way his head stayed still. Uh, the manager that I was with, we were in the third base dugout in Canton. And, uh, he would say, uh, How'd he throw in the bullpen? I'd go, oh, he threw really good, he said. And then the first pitch of the game, if we didn't see his head flying over, looking in our dugout, he goes, oh, yeah, he's we're going to have a good one. So that was just one little key of feel that I could give for this pitcher to make his own adjustments in the game. And him and the catcher had a good feel for when, oh, wow, he's got a good slider to go with that sinker tonight's going to be a fun night because he also had a plus change up to go with it.
0: You, you so a had a whole
1: lot of different options to go with there.
0: You hit a spot when my two boys were in the room here when you were saying that, see the ball out of your hand. Mike's younger son is a catcher. My older son who pitches to him, he smacked him in the chest. He goes, that's what you do. And uh, so you made a yeah. you made a point to them. So hopefully they can take that yeah. in the next week.
2: Well, you know, uh, I can give you some things. I've uh, A thing I taught that I did myself. Um, And this all is through practice. You learn how to make adjustments to various pitches or locations based on your practice because you practice it so you know what adjustment you have to make. And so sometimes you have to consciously tell yourself, okay, this is what I got to do because this is how I practice it. I'll give you an example. If I was pitching and I was throwing four seam fastballs, glove side away from a right hander into a left hander, and the ball started tailing, not sinking, but started tailing back toward the middle of the plate. I had this picture in my mind that I had practiced that I wanted a laser four-seamer to stay on line and stay in or to stay to glove side. So my, my adjustment was I would consciously get be a little bit more aggressive with my separation to where I knew my hand would have plenty of time to get in position. I would firm my hand up behind the ball and I would backspin it and expecting it to stay on line through the target. And that's how I'd make the adjustment because if I was a little late separating, which may have been the whole issue, my hand didn't get in position. So I got inside the ball and the ball would tail back. So if I did these two cues, of separating quicker, getting my hand behind the ball and visualizing a laser, I took that my hand position was in the proper position for I didn't have to worry about it drifting back. Now, I know Greg Maddox used to talk about throwing streams of milk. He used to talk about streams of milk because he commanded his movement really good. But I'm sure there were times that he practiced it to where he knew, okay, I need to take it, let's say, off the left-handed knee I need, to, I need to drive it, keep my hand in position, the same position I'm throwing at, but in order to judge just location, I need to go to the knee. I'm not sure he did that, but that's how you do it on the fly.
0: What that's do you mean by streams of milk, though? What was that? He said throw streams of milk. What's he mean by
2: that? He pictured a stream of milk, like all white, a stream going. Okay. On. And so you know how he used to throw that comeback two-seam? Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God, yeah. Well, yeah. he probably pictured, well, I got to move that stream of milk over here and boom, it'll dart right back to where I want it right. instead of carry it, getting no too far. Get his, away.
1: You know, get his fingers inside the ball to make it come back. You know, it's like he was, you know, he was somebody that that, that I always uh, marveled at because of the simplicity of his delivery, but it was all connected, which is a big word in today's technology. Um, he threw in tunnels because of the connectivity and the short, quick arm action to get up and get behind every one of his pitches. So they all look the same to hitters as well. You know, know, those are the other things when you're on time. You know, Mark, you know, I remember you telling me about that when I first started and you and I were together my first year as a pitching coach in instructional league. And one of the things that I morphed into with my Pitchers, is we used to do a touch and feel at about 50 feet where the catch, catcher would sit glove side and they would just throw four seam fastballs and four seam changeups and try to get good backspin and keep the ball down angle, backspin through the ball. Because if you can do that, you're pretty much perfect.
0: Is that flat ground or from the, from the mound?
1: We would go from the mound. And I would just bring the catcher up five feet. He would sit on the outside corner. We had a little, you know, mobile plate. And he would sit and give a nice low target. And we wanted to throw downhill through, through that area with, with backspin with just four seamers and four seam change-ups.
0: I like that. You
2: know, the thing is, is that, and there's a lot of comments about doing stuff from flat ground to uh, mound you know, even short mound is probably better, but you know, don't discard flat ground. Yeah. You could still achieve spin that you're looking for. You're not, you're not trying to get leverage off of a mound. You're just trying to get your hand in position, which you can do really easily on flat ground. And uh, you know, so the, there's different steps in developing a pitch. Um, you know, you don't have to have ideal circumstances. You know, if you want it bad enough and you understand the technique that's necessary, you know, the other thing is is that when you you know, I made the comment on how I would give insights to pitchers on what I did, you know, on how I'd create that four-seam fastball on that side of the plate and make sure it would get there. But when you're coaching, some pitchers throw off of off of a target, some pitchers throw to a target. Right. And you have to find out from the guy you're working with which one he does because that's if different. you're throwing, a, teaching a breaking pitch and one guy throws to the target the breaking ball and the other one throws it off a body part or a catcher's uh shin guard you you need to know that when you're right. teaching the guy
0: oh, so you again, Mark, the that's body. a good that's a good breakdown so it's to the target or off the target
2: yeah it's to, yeah. to target or you're throwing it off of a different target yeah. to, to, to achieve the location you want. Yeah. You know,
1: I threw my curveball off the top of the catcher's head and I wanted the catcher when I was warming up to put his glove about six inches on the, off the ground. And I wanted to drop the ball straight off of his head into his glove. That was my, that was my thought process. So I was going to get my hand out quickly Stay behind the ball. The hitter was gonna see a fastball coming at the top of the catcher's head, but it was gonna end up down at the bottom of the uh
0: of of ankle high in his glove. What do you mean by get your hand out quickly?
1: Well, you know, you got you know, you, you, you gotta keep your hand speed on your breaking ball just like your fastball. Yeah. You know, and you don't want it to be late because then the hitter sees it early. You get those Curveballs that have loops in it, where it comes out early and the hitter sees it right away.
0: So you're talking about arm action, not about out of yeah. the glove.
1: Yeah,
2: okay. yeah, But well, you know, yeah. you're you're trying. This is what I used to always say: that that your your wrist, your forearm, your hand, in order to throw a really tight breaking pitch, particularly curveball, you have to have hand speed. You have to have that quick twitch hand speed to be able to create that spin. Right. It's different than a fastball. You know how you hear guys throw a heavy fastball and a guy throws a light fastball? Well, yeah. for me, the light fastball is the one that has a lot of backspin on it. Right. Um, and 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 when when you don't have that hand speed and you throw a fastball and you're a strong arm guy, your ball tends to be heavier. Because you don't have that
1: kind of backspin, and the and the backspin guy, you literally hear the f- out of his hand. Yeah, it's it's Leo. more
2: sneaky. And a lot yeah. of those guys that throw those bowling ball, we used to call them bowling ball fastballs. Yeah. Those are the sinkers right. that just seem to gain weight as they get yeah. to the plate, and they just yeah. fall out like you were. And if you got jammed by one of those guys, it just crushed your bat.
1: Yeah, or guys who could really spin a curveball, you could hear. F- out of their yeah, fingers. Yeah. yeah. Cause, cause, you know, it's they're... funny
2: because I had a good curveball and it was funny because I actually when I learned the curveball, don't ask me why. Once I got my release, I knew it was going to be where I wanted it to be. So I threw to the target, a curveball to the target. The only time I would adjust is if I had a crosswind or something where my breaking ball was being affected by a crosswind. I, I would have to start working back toward the hitter to make sure I could get it where I wanted it. But Correct. on a normal activity, I just threw it and it ended up down outer third.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I always when the wind was blowing out, I would use more curveballs because you get that wind resistant and get even more late break to it if you got it on time and right.
2: Yeah, if it's if you got wind in your face and you're a curveball pitcher, they're in trouble. <laughs> they're yeah. in trouble because it makes that spin bite even more.
1: Mark, one one thing I wanted to go back to and and you had mentioned about flat ground and and I was a big flat ground guy too. Or the other thing and and that I thought about that I incorporated later was when guys hands were a little bit laid out of the glove, you get them on the flat ground cuz they got to work quicker to get out of the glove to get their yes. leverage. Or go on the backside of the rubber. The old Les Moss and Freddie. Uh, uh, gosh, the old pitching coach we had, Freddie. Uh, that Waters? was with no. Freddie uh, was with the Tigers. Uh, was a sinker baller. Pitched with the Tigers. He was with Les Moss. Him and Mossy were real good friends. He was an older pitching. Freddie Gladding. Oh yeah. Freddie introduced me to uh, Les Moss in spring training and, and the, uh, the, the, the Giants over there. He had gone over there as their minor league pitching coordinator when Roger Craig was around. And he was a big backside uphill guy because it slowed your body down and sped your hands up. And the Giants carried that forever because Rigetti liked it when he went there following those guys late in his career and then he became the pitching coach. And I, I somebody told me the Giants up recently have always had the rubbers on the backside for guys to throw uphill because it slows your body down some and it, keeps, it speeds your hands up, which were two big premises that uh, Les Moss and Freddie Gladding – taught me that I always thought made a lot of sense. Your body's in control, your hands out in front and behind the ball. Now you have better deception, better spin on everything.
2: Well, see, this this is this is a perfect example of something we used in the past that worked, but right. we were smart enough to know how many reps you did on the back of the mound. Right,
1: right. exactly. Now,
2: now I'm sure the guys do the same thing and they'll have a guy throw freaking 40 of them.
1: Right, on the back exactly.
2: of the You know, like, because they have no concept of step-by-step development.
1: Exactly. Exactly. You know, you, you know, you start on the backside, you know, your body's controlled. You get your foot down, you get your hands out through the ball, your ball's coming out good. You feel in control. Okay. Now we're going to get down the hill with it and it's all going to work. We're going to be in a good rhythm. So hey, Will, do you
2: remember instructional league? Back with the Orioles, when you and Dom Chidi were like pitching coaches with me, yeah, and we started doing um, on our warm up. Uh, you know, they do the calisthenics stretches yeah. and stuff. Then we would do we would do balance drills,
1: yeah, Karate Kid drills
2: and finish drills, kind of like the Karate yeah. Kid. We get yeah. everybody up in position with their hand behind yeah. them. They would follow through. They would run toward you know, straight ahead to a couple steps, plant, get back up into a balanced position. We used to do all kinds of stuff like that. We used to develop pitches by just putting your hand up in a position just to spin the ball like 30 feet. Um, We used to do all those things. Those were all developmental things. Plus, when you watch guys do that, you can actually help make determinations on what type of pitch they need to throw. Yeah, or, some, or guys, how? some guys don't have hand speed, right? Or hand strength to throw a curveball, right? They just don't have it. They don't have the concept. They don't know how to release it. They have no feel at all. But right. they have feel for other stuff that gets real easier if you teach the guy uh, a hand position on a proper slider. Well, or- you know,
1: and 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 the other thing is, you see who who has some athletic mobility too, and. You know, uh, when you traded my ass over to the Tigers, I got uh, – it was 81. And Billy Muffett was uh, the big league – or no, he was the roving pitching coach, I think, with the Tigers. And I forget, I think Roger Craig. But, you know, you remember all the big league coaches used to rove around the minor leagues that year during the strike year? Yeah. And those guys came down to Birmingham and – I think it was Billy Moffat, you know, my my delivery was out of whack and he had me do balance the balance drills where you you balance, he would flip me the ball, I would throw the pitch, and he was a big believer in finishing with your chest over your front knee ready to feel. Which we don't see anybody do <laughs> anymore because everybody's trying to throw the ball through a wall, so they're flying open landed on a stiff front leg, catapulting off and falling off. I I you know, and you know I'm not the greatest athlete in the world, but I could control my body from balance to balance. And it helped so helped my command and consistency after I hurt my arm to throw so many more strikes because I was in control of my body and well, throw the ball where what, I wanted
2: to. That's what arm injuries do to guys that have a clue. Yeah. When you hurt your arm, you get real much more particular on where your body position is prior to release than you ever did when you were, when you never had an injury, you didn't think about it. No. When you have an injury and you get pain in your shoulder, your elbow, and you're recovering from it, you don't want that pain. So you get yourself in the proper position to where you release, you use all your body and your timing's better. And you're more aware of stuff. I always tell, I used to tell my pitchers that got hurt. I used to go, you will be a better pitcher when you come back. And they go, why is that? And I said, because you, you'll do very few poorly balanced pitches anymore. I well, said, you, I, you'll be much more aware of what your delivery is and your timing.
1: You know, I struggled for those couple of years prior to getting traded. But that little thing that he taught me when I did get an opportunity, and I went back and pitched in and for the Marlins independent league team, and the Padres bought my contract. I was so much better a pitcher command-wise, and ability to land a breaking ball for a strike. Even though I was throwing 81, 82 miles per hour at the time, I could pitch, and, and I could command, and I could break bats at 81, 82, sort of like Jamie Moyer it was all relevant. Like, that's why I could relate. I think that helped me be a good pitching coach because I could help somebody that didn't have stuff in velocity as much as I could from prior to me being hurt to go, Hey, you got really good stuff. Go get this guy with this, you know, and, 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 you know, that's, that's what you have to do individually. You know, you don't do this group think of, you know, every breaking ball has to have the same width and every everybody has to throw the same mix of pitches to the same grouping of hitters that each individual you're you're trying to make be better the best that they
2: can be. Well, you know, the, the thing is and I often say this that a, a pitcher needs to know what a good one feels like and it looks like, right? Right. Right. Um and when I say looks like, it's, you know, we've talked about that before, uh, you know, a good sinker, the pitcher doesn't really see it. Right. Uh, if you have too much side movement, it's not a good sinker. Right, and that's what I used to tell my major league pitchers. that were sinker ballers. They go, boy, that had a lot of movement. I said, yeah, it was a horseshit one.
1: Right, exactly.
2: I said because you're not supposed to see it. So once he learns when he's throwing, and he and if he has a question, he says to the catcher, "Is that ball sinking?" Right. He says, "Yeah, going straight down." That's You know, that's the only question. If you can't see it but you know a good one I don't usually see, just ask the catcher. He'll tell you if it's proper. Well, you yeah. know,
1: I mean, I, I write that so many times, you know, uh, has some life, but it's below average. It runs off the plate to his arm side. It's that That's not an effective pitch. It comes out of your hand early. The hitter sees it, good hitters see. It's going to be a ball and it's going to run off the plate. But the one that stays on the plate and goes straight down, you're done. The
2: only thing you hit is the top of the ball. Well, you know, for that, me, right? and you know, you can talk velocity all you want, but let me tell you something. You ever played wiffle ball? Yeah. And you know how when that wind catches the wiffle ball at the last second and shoots yep. it like at 90-degree angle? Yeah. And you can't hit it? Right. Well, for me, you could throw 98. If it's straight.
1: They're going to barrel you know,
2: it up. And if you don't command the 98, you're going to get – Unloaded on today's world, but you know what's always played since time began is the guys that had the latest movement. Whether it's breaking pitch, whether it's a two seam fastball, whatever it happens to be that's late, right? Late movement hitters can't adjust; they have no time to adjust. That's why if you have a guy that has natural late movement, don't mess with him; just kind of corral it.
1: Think of the run that Zach Britton went on. Yep, perfect example. My gosh, he threw that—he threw that that two-seamer from a high angle leverage, that that was knee high and ended up on the ground. And if it was even if it was a little bit high, it ended up at the bottom of your knees or shins. I mean, you could not lift him. I, you know, it was it, it was funny. That was my club, and Danny and I had kind of identified him because he had struggled. As a starter, and Danny said to me, boy, in the bullpen, and this was before all the data, but, you know, you know, because I was raving about his sinker, you know, but he, his secondary pitches. But then once they put him in the bullpen, what a run he had for, what, five years there where, you know, his his fastball almost, I remember my brother called me the first time he saw him on the local stations here in the Maryland area. And he said, my gosh, this fastball looks like a, a 96 mile per hour, right-handed
2: curveball." I mean, crazy. It was crazy. You know, it went straight down. You know, I never really saw that when he was starting. No, no. I don't know how he developed it, but he must've just played around all of a sudden. Oh my God. Somebody said that ball is the bottom's falling out of it. He's so he just kept gripping it that way.
1: Yeah. I think he just finally figured out, that when he just stayed on time and threw it, that, you know, because he would flash them as a starter when he was kind of going up and down. And I would tell Danny, I go, gosh, Danny, he throws some fastballs that are unhittable. And Danny go, I remember him saying, he, he said, you know, you think maybe if he just went to the bullpen, I go, yeah, that might work. And they, they ended up doing it. Somebody over there figured it out. And, you know buck was managing and then you know the rest was history you know he was smart enough to realize hey put down a one and and go from there
2: yeah well there's an example of a guy that had an unbelievable pitch but what was the ba- biggest element it was late movement yeah exactly and, and i had i had kevin apier yeah who had a breaking pitch that he was so tight and ran down the line of the fastball so well and had a straight down break because he could get his fingers over the front of the ball and somehow stay behind it with the fingers over the front and pull it at the last second and the bottom would fall out of it. And many scouts, you know, used to tell me, boy, he's got a great split because it reacted like a split because it went straight down and was on the same plane as the fastball. And I said, it's a... I said, it's a actually, if you really want to define it, it's really a hard curveball. A hard, short curveball. And they go, no right. way. And I go, yeah. Well, because it's so hard, you can call it a slider because it's harder than a curveball. But and it's um, short like that. But he has the unique hand speed and hand position to be able to get over to the front of the ball and hit it out front like he would a fastball. And And I remember that uh, I've only had a couple guys that were the best at getting out of trouble with bases loaded and no outs. And he would have bases loaded and no outs and I'd be sitting in the dugout and I would be comfortable. Whereas usually as a pitching coach, you're not too comfortable when you guys got no outs and bases loaded. But with him, he had this breaking pitch that broke so late, nobody could see. So he'd strike out the side, he'd strike out the next three guys and they had no chance, even with bases loaded, because it looked just like a fastball. And again, that's a type of a movement late. Hitters can't adjust to late movement. <coughs>
0: yeah. Well, well, guys, you've got almost 40 minutes here. You guys aren't out of breath now, are you? No, yeah, we yeah. can talk for hours. You know what? Right? What do you want to leave I the think- audience with today? What else we got? What else do you guys want to hit on? Well,
1: I, I, I had a. Get a quick drink of water. But I wanted to add to uh, Apier a couple things that uh, with the one-need catcher, you might be afraid <laughs> afraid of uh, all the pass balls that might occur now on somebody like Apier with that that late of movement too. But um, and uh, I remember Apier the year he signed. We were in the instructional league and. Dan O'Dowd had me write up all the pictures and I absolutely loved him. I said, but now from a delivery standpoint, Mark, you would never teach anybody Apier's delivery because there was arms and legs flying all over the place. And I still have the report that said, I love this guy, but he has no chance of staying healthy because there's going to be so much pressure on the arm. And I think I, finally got it right like 14 years later when he finally went on the DL for the first time. So, um, you know, Mark Pryor was predictive never to get hurt and Apier was predicted to always be hurt. So uh, that lets us all know that we really can't play God on those things either.
2: Yeah. It's, uh, it's you know, baseball is the greatest sport and like anything else, I think if you probably any any musical instrument played or 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 any task done, um, you can overthink it.
1: yeah, and that's right. And
2: one thing you want to try to you want to make sure the things you're thinking of and the things you're doing make sense yeah. and and they're not just for the sake of doing it.
1: No, you know, you see something and you go, "Wow, it might not last long, but boy. It's it, when it's going to last. It's going to get a lot of people out, you know, and 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 you know why change what's natural and good, right? It, it, you know, you know you see so much cookie cut going on where everybody throws from the stretch or everybody throws with the little side one step, never take their hands over their head. Everybody's the
2: same, uh, yeah. a, a bunch of clones. Uh, you know, love. I think. I think good coaches. I think co- good coaches help help players understand that their past doesn't define their future.
1: Right. That's
2: because right. players have a tendency to just get tied up in the past. Right. And I'm not going to get it good enough or I won't be good enough. But, but you really have breakthroughs when you teach a guy something new that he can put in play that makes him better Then you've got him. You've right. got him, and he's open for all kinds of stuff. Then,
0: yeah, that's right. I love it. That's a great message to end on with our audience. Will you got any anything to add to that?
1: No, no. Always before. enjoy. Always enjoy our uh, talks.
0: You guys don't need a guest.
1: Keeps my keeps my head clear.
0: I love it. You guys do not need a guest. In fact, well, I well,
1: I before you got on, Dave, I was going to do my Charlie Manuel impression and do him today, but go ahead. We just. Uh,
0: Oh, we'll end it with that. Go ahead.
1: No, 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 no. We're gonna have him on
0: soon. So. Okay, that'll make that'll deter him from coming on.
1: <clears throat> yeah, I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to do my Charlie Manuel until the folks get to hear him. He's great,
2: though.
0: No, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Well, I love this today. I, I, I we can do this. I love doing this every so often. If you guys are up to it, just riffing. No, out I'd love it
2: to you. do it. I've got yeah. a lot of notes I want to get to.
0: The heck, to yeah. the heck, The heck with the guests. Now that you got that new app, what's it called? In depth.
2: It's called, uh, in print. it's called, let me look at it here. In Imprint, in right? Imprint. In
0: in print. Imprint, in where you're getting all these blurbs from books. Now you're going to be littered with quotes, more and more yep. quotes. I I'll love it.
2: All kinds of stuff.
0: So I'm hoping this show pushes us over to, to 20,000. We're pushing for the end of the week. Just want to thank our subscribers. Download, listen, like, subscribe, rate, and review. We can battle those podcast world analytics like we do in baseball. Keep giving you great content like Mark and Will did here today. Hit us up, Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We can keep providing you uh, with social media content as well. I get back to one guest live every day. We are in 72 countries. So this, I'll tell you guys, if, if pop, by popular demand, they say they want to hear the riff more, we may have to respond to the the, the masses out there and give them a, this type of riff more often from you guys. So I thought it was great. I thought it was tremendous. I uh, loved it. Um Just a a reminder, our audience members asked me to remind all of the uh, the new listeners, just prepare to embrace uncomfortable truths about baseball as this program, like all others on our network, just has no time for the comforting lies out there. And we hit you right between the eyes. I think you guys did that today, but uh, just tremendous content. I mean, I took notes. I was silent for about 20 minutes straight because I was writing stuff down. I got smarter today. That's all that matters.
1: (laughs) uh, Always enjoy you guys. Love it. And uh Everybody have
0: a great weekend, okay? Well, thank you, guys. Yeah, happy appreciate. Father's Day, guys. Yeah, happy, yeah, Father's, happy Father's, day. Father's Day. That's right. That and happy day. belated anniversary, Mr. and Mrs. D'Agostino. Oh, appreciate it. Appreciate it. Had a good dinner, and uh, nice. kids let us go out. So it was good. Good nice. dinner. So episode 208, Day at the Art, Common Sense Pitching in the Books. And this will be a Father's Day release, so this will be out on Sunday. So happy Father's nice. Day to all. Nice. Great. <laughs>